0: Rob's going to show a little bit of a video clip now. It's from a film of the life of Jesus based on John's gospel. And we're going to see the bit about Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb.
1: While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw, and believed. They still did not understand the scripture, which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away. And I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus.
0: Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for?
1: She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him... If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew... Her This means, teacher, do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet gone back up to the Father but go to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to him who is my father and their father my God and their God
0: so as Patsy said we're uh, starting a new summer series and uh, Debbie's called it 40 days with Jesus uh, and so we're going to meet or uh, we'll hear about some of the people that uh, Jesus met uh, before his ascension to heaven. And today uh, we're going to focus on Mary Magdalene that we uh, just saw in that video clip. And we'll see how her life was transformed. There's a lot of tall stories that have gone about, uh, about Mary uh, in recent years, particularly since Dan Brown's best-selling book, Da Vinci Code, was, uh, was released and uh, just out of interest really I, I, I looked up some of these in the, uh, on, on the internet and one of them that was particularly uh, definitive about uh, Mary's life uh, it's a, a website called uh, paralumen.org and it tells us this Mary was 27 when she married Jesus Mary had her first child at age 30 a girl who they named Tamar. At age 34, she gave birth to their second child, a son who they named Jesus. Mary gave birth to a third child, Joseph, who was the all-important Grail child. Mary was 41 years old when she had uh, Joseph. Mary was Gnostic, and Jesus respected her right to choose her own religion. Mary Magdalene died in AD 63, aged 60 years old. She died in southern France. Where do we get this stuff from? (laughs) Uh, The site also suggested that the Roman Catholic Church has suppressed the true history uh, of Mary Magdalene because her story posed a threat to Jesus' gospel message. Uh, but this rubbish shows that we have to be very careful what we read and what we believe. And so today we're going to put our trust in, uh, in God's Word and, uh, and we'll believe what it has to say about Mary. Uh, the title Magdalene uh, tells us that Mary uh, came from uh, a little fishing village called Magdala uh, on the northeast corner of the Lake of of Galilee. And this, as we know, was an area in which Jesus mainly travelled to preach his gospel. We know that Jesus uh, travelled around from village to village, healing the sick and uh, preaching, and he recruited followers who went with him and shared in his work. Jesus was unusual in his day in that he accepted both male and female followers. And this would have appeared scandalous to many Jews at the time, because they believed that women should only travel with members of their family. And this was just one of the ways in which Jesus' uh, teaching broke new ground and tore down some of the old barriers and social structures. And Jesus was way ahead of his time. And it took the church a long time to fully accept some aspects uh, of his message. Which is why it took Patsy so long to be ordained, perhaps. (laughs) But more about that later. That's right, it's not gin and tonic, although it does look like it. Uh, Mary was uh, one of the women who travelled with Jesus. Jesus. And we first meet her in a brief passage in Luke. Uh, it's, it's chapter 8, it's on page 1037 if you want to, uh, to, to read it. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And it tells us, After this, uh, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuzu, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So we see that our Mary was one of a number of women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And she was apparently... A noteworthy example of that, as she'd been taken over by seven demons. And seven is the number for perfection in the Bible, which suggests that Mary had been completely under the power of evil. We know that Mary was restored to full health and given a new life in Jesus. But we've no idea what her old life was like. Did she suffer from some sort of uh, mental or physical illness? Or had she committed some sort of sexual sin? The Gospels contain many stories of Jesus delivering people from the power of evil spirits. Which may just be an old-fashioned, if you like, pre-scientific way of describing epilepsy or mental illness. But not all spirit possession falls into that category. And Luke was a doctor, remember. And so he would have been able to tell the difference between ordinary illness and illness that he attributed to the power of of the devil. So Mary had somehow fallen under the domination of these uh, powers of evil. And we've no idea how that happened or how they manifested themselves in her life. But we do know that she'd been delivered from these evil forces and although we're not told explicitly that Jesus had healed her um, I guess it's strongly suggested by the, the context of those few verses. And the impact on Mary seemed to have been tremendous and she left everything to follow Jesus. We don't know what her personal situation was, what commitment she had, whether she was married or had children, or what her social standing was in the community. But she was included in a group of women who provided for Jesus and his disciples from their personal means. So that seems to suggest that she had some disposable income and that she was in control of it. She doesn't seem to have been completely dependent on a husband. But whatever sort of life that she led uh, before, she had left it and was now travelling with Jesus and his disciples. Her commitment to him had even reached her wallet, which is usually the last thing that gets converted to faith. Uh, many of us come to faith and follow Jesus for many years without really giving thought uh, to how our finances should be affected. And so that's a, just a gentle reminder to anyone who, um, who um, wants to uh, consider regular giving to the church. It's easily started by having word with the treasurer if you want to emulate Mary's level of commitment. But Mary was so captivated with Jesus and his message and what he'd done for her that she gladly and generously gave to help make his mission possible. We don't hear of Mary again until the bit we saw in the film clip, the week before the crucifixion. We might assume that she continued to travel with Jesus and support him and the Twelve, But when we get to Holy Week, Mary and the other women gain a much higher profile. It's often been pointed out that along with the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably John, that women were the last to leave the cross when Jesus died, the first at the empty tomb after his resurrection, and the first to see Jesus the risen Jesus on Easter morning. And it may be remarkable that this was even reported in the Gospels, since women's testimony wasn't admissible in courts at the time. Perhaps this speaks loads for the honesty and the probity and the accuracy of the Gospel writers. We know that a group of women were watching from afar as Jesus was crucified, In fact, the same group that had been travelling with him and providing for him. And Mary of Magdala is the first to be listed. The male disciples, with the exception of John, had denied, betrayed or deserted Jesus. But not Mary and her friends. They stuck by him. And after Jesus died and was taken from the cross, we're told that Mary and at least one other woman were there when Joseph of Arimathea placed the body in the tomb. And they immediately went home to prepare spices to anoint the body. It sounds as if they felt Joseph and the other men hadn't done a proper job of it and so they were going to do it properly. But they had to wait until the Sabbath day, and until the Sabbath day was over uh, before they could go back to the tomb. There are some differences between the the gospel accounts of Easter Sunday morning, and that might be expected because the disciples were remembering an event for which there was absolutely no precedent. No doubt each of them recalled different aspects of it. But what is common is that early in the morning, Mary and the other women went back to the tomb, and there they found the stone rolled away and the body gone. At some point they had an an encounter with at least one angel or a man dressed in white who told them that Jesus had been raised from the dead and instructed them to go and tell the disciples. And so they did, running back to the upper room, as we saw although it wasn't very upper in that, was it? But uh, we saw them running back um, to, to tell them in fear and trembling. And John tells us that he and Peter ran to the tomb, and that Mary of Magdala followed them. The two men entered the tomb, found everything as Mary had said. Then they left. But Mary stayed behind, weeping. And we can only imagine her desolation. Not only had the Lord that she loved been brutally um, executed, but now she was even denied the consolation of being able to, to minister to his dead body. And the story that comes next can only have come from Mary herself. Uh, We didn't actually have these words read to us, but if you'd like to look on page 1089 um, of John's Gospel, John 20, starting at verse 11. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary of Magdalene, who had once been so completely under the control of evil forces that she was said to have been possessed by seven demons, she's now given the privilege of being the first to see the risen Jesus alive again. And the first to take that word of personal testimony to others. Mary was the first to be able to say, from her own personal experience, I know Jesus is alive again because I've seen him myself and he spoke to me. Mary is therefore the first evangelist of the early church, the first to bring the good news of Jesus' resurrection to others. So what does Mary's story have for us today? First of all, uh, as Patsy has said, this is a story of transformation. Many people don't believe in transformation, that lives can be changed, Remember Popeye the Sailor Man? He once famously said, I am what I am. This is me. What you see is what you get. Take it or leave it. And there are many who long to be transformed but have given up hope that it can ever happen. Uh, For example, those perhaps addicted to drugs or alcohol who would love to see their lives changed. But the Gospel tells us that such change is possible. Many Christians, me included, can tell personal stories of real changes that God has brought about in our lives. Setting them free from old habits and addictions, or making them into the sort of people that God can use. And I know that in a moment we'll hear a story from someone who will confirm that to us. Jesus once said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the life of Mary of Magdala testifies to that truth. Second, Mary's life is a story of inclusion. We've already noted that in Jesus' time there were strict limits on what women could and couldn't do. But Jesus simply ignored them. He talked to women in public, although this was frowned on. He included them in his conversations. He allowed them to travel with him and his disciples, which would have been seen as scandalous. And he gladly accepted their generosity in supporting him and his colleagues. And then to top it all, he gave them the privilege of being the first witnesses of his resurrection and the first to personally testify that he was alive. And finally, Mary's story is one of evangelism. She will forever be remembered as the first person to tell others that she knew Jesus was risen from the dead because she had met him. And that message is given to us to share as well. Our experience of the risen Jesus is probably not as dramatic as Mary's. But we know that he makes a difference in our lives day by day, and we can share that story with other people. And that's not an obligation, an obligation laid on us, it's a joy and a privilege, but also a command. One that we've been given and need to take seriously. So Mary can be an inspiration to each one of us, a story of transformation, of inclusion, and evangelism let's close with a prayer if we may Mary of Magdala reminds us that Jesus Christ can transform us change our lives and set us free she reminds us that Jesus is always reaching out to marginalized people including them in his circle of friends, giving them a place on his mission team. And she reminds us of the tremendous privilege and joy that we've been given to tell others about our encounter with the risen Lord and the difference that he's making in our lives. May God give us grace to follow her example and share in her joy. Amen. If what we were hearing today only happened a couple of thousand years ago, then really what are we here for? But of course, lives have been being transformed all these years since, including today, here, amongst us. And part of this series, we're hoping that there will be testimonies that can supplement all that we're hearing about. And so Darren is going to tell us a little bit about what God has done for him.
2: Patsy's very kindly asked me, and I feel very privileged to be able to stand here this morning and um, let you know about a journey that I've been on, um, a journey that probably started back in 2009. I, some of you may remember I stood here with my family, letting you know about a, a big adventure that we were about to start, off to Kuwait in the Middle East, with my work um and uh off we went um really quite excited um Kuwait was great um we soon settled into a nice expat life the kids loved the school um but work was difficult i had gone there primarily to work and uh, i realized that i had got myself into something that was a big big challenge and I stuck with it, obviously, three and a half years we were there, but eventually it took its toll on me, and I had to make the decision to bring the family home, and to uh, basically start afresh, start again. Um, we came back uh, October 2012, and obviously we came back to a honeymoon period, it was great to be home with the family, friends, and all of those things that go with it. But I had resigned, I had brought the family home. I'd actually arrived back in the UK with my wife and kids, with no home, with no money, really, with no jobs. Neither of us had jobs. I was that responsible person. I had to do something about it. And um, I remember possibly after all the um, that honeymoon period, probably after two months of being back, so probably round about the Christmas time, I had a huge sense of loneliness. My family were my rocks, and they still are, but I really felt quite lonely. And uh, I was looking for jobs, obviously, like everyone would be. And I was out one day walking, like I did. I had a lot of time on my hands. And I found myself on a really nice walk one morning, pretty dank, cloudy day, walking along a path in Bramley, really wondering what on earth I was going to do with my life. Um, Really wondering where on earth are we going. And uh, I remember sitting there uh, on a bench, along this path and out of nowhere I physically called out and asked for the Lord to come into my life I couldn't tell you where it had come from but I knew right then that I needed some help I needed, other than my friends and family, I really needed something to come about and amazingly he turned up for me. Um, whether you believe these things, but you know, it was a dank day. I was sitting around trees and whatever. Honestly, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, a bolt of light came through those trees. I know it sounds a little corny, but I swear to you, he hit me. And I honestly could not believe it. I got up and I carried on my walk. Wasn't too sure what had happened. I just got carried on and really just started to take it, take stock of what had happened to me. Very quickly my feelings changed. Very quickly I realised that, you know, there was a lot more to life. It was about going out there and, you know, it was about prayer, prayer. It was about coming to you people. I mean, you have no idea when you've been away for three and a half years and coming back to Wanish. And I will say it's not coming back to church, it's coming back to Wanash. It's coming back to you people. It's coming back to Debbie, to Patsy, to the ministry teams. It's coming back to those endless prayers that I used to have where I wasn't confirmed. Hands-on prayers week after week and really starting to know that the Lord is really there for us he's there for me he's there for you and he I feel is really at work here Um, obviously last year I realised that I had got to that next step in my life and I wanted to affirm my faith Uh, so obviously 3rd of November last year I was able to do that Guildford Cathedral with uh, as I called it my bunch of girls because I was the only adult and there were eight teenagers with me (laughs) it was a great experience great experience so soon after you know through all those prayers Susanna and I got jobs we found a home money started coming in we were back here at Wanish, and it was all his doing. I honestly believe it was his doing. And I feel great. We don't have much money, but I feel great. And uh, I think one thing, though, I do need to say is that it's not all great. People go through those real low periods in their lives. All of us have them. This year, I've, my life's certainly been tested twice. Earlier in the year, I, as you probably know, I've started up a business, self-employed. But at Christmas this year, um, I was, uh, my business was conned out of an extremely large amount of money, money that I had worked hard for. And uh, I got involved with a company in good faith that I believed would help me to advertise my business, and uh, it didn't. It stole from me in a big way, and uh, I was mortified. And, you know, at those times when you could really just say, you're not here for me, you don't really care, it wasn't. I came here, and I prayed. I remember asking Debbie for prayers, and I know people in this place prayed for me. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, that company are now being investigated by the trading standards people. And it's good news. Another example was my aunt, my very dear aunt, was diagnosed with breast cancer. It's the first time in my life that cancer had come into my family. How dare it. And I was, we all were. The prayers were fantastic. I prayed and I prayed. She did have to have a double mastectomy. But she's on the road to recovery. She does not have to have chemo. And that's a huge, huge benefit. And it's the power of prayer, I honestly believe, that gets you through this. So, you know, you can really let things drag you down, but it is the power of the Lord that will actually get you to where you are, get you through these things. And I... I hope that all of you are in the same place as me. It's very exciting. And um, I certainly saw and witnessed how good. Lord is good. Thank you very much for listening to me today.